as a leader, it's my role to trust other people first and put myself out there. You can imagine this 26, 27 year old talking to a 45 year old black, here, here's what you do because he obviously has got years of experience <laughs> way over me. But I looked at them like, well, how can I build relationship with that person? Yes, I'm in theory their, their leader, but we're working together. So my question used to be like, how can I, what can I do to help you grow? Hey everyone, thanks again for joining me on another episode of Emotional Optimism. I hope it's giving you a skip in your step and a whole bunch of goodness throughout your days. All right, I'm so excited to bring you this conversation with my friend, Soke. He is as real as real gets. Really, really involved in DEI growth mindset and really helping clients shift their mindsets and become comfortable with risk and uncertainty. And these are things he has lived experience with. So without further ado, please press play and enjoy this convo. Thanks again. It's great to see you. Thank you for being here a second time. I it's guess an the, absolute uh, pleasure. <laughs> I, I guess the luxury of uh, of seeing you twice in uh, what four months, five months, six months. Yeah, yeah, it's about four months, hasn't it? Yeah, four months since right before yeah. maybe I think. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Holy crap! <laughs> <laughs> oh, lots changed. I I noticed I have more gray hair, but that's all right. See, that's what happens when you have a four-month-old in there. You know, it just, it just, it just goes it's with just it. Gray hair. <laughs> She's not even running around yet. Just wait. It's the almost three-year-old that's giving me the gray hair for sure. Ooh, okay. <laughs> in the best of ways, and also like the most challenging the ways. See, that's, that's the good thing about kids. They teach us a lot about ourselves. Okay. Yeah, yeah. We'll definitely learn a lot. They teach us how to be parents. I mean, we are. I'm not looking at any handbook. I don't believe in handbooks. Every every child's different. Yeah. Every single child is different. So you need to go with their their vibe and their feelings. And that's how you respond to them rather than trying to be like, oh, it's one size fits all. That never works with kids. I mean, I've got exactly. two of them and same household, two completely different personalities. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And by the way, they figure you out. Like they they know how to play the system. Uh, that's what I'm learning. <laughs> that is what I'm learning. So um, uh, anyway, it's it's a joy uh, joy to have them, and and just great to see you again. So let's start with like who you are. How did we meet? Let's go there. I mean, we met. You were running a panel that I was. I'm running a panel. Yeah, I was doing a panel. Was it this year? Last year? I don't remember. I think it was. It's all a blur. I think yeah. it was last year, actually. I think so. I was running, yeah. yeah, I was running, running a panel. I am talking about the, I guess, the world, the way of work in, mm -hmm. in the HR culture organization as we're shifting and embracing, I guess, the hybrid way of, of operating. And it was how do we, one, deal with the impact of, of COVID on our people? Then how do we then respond to that going forward into what the new world's going to look like? So that's, yeah, that's the first time we met. And then... 
we graciously came on my podcast. We had a great conversation. All right, let's, and that's what we took it from there. Yeah, let's keep it going. Totally. And it's so funny. Like, that's what we were speaking about at the end of 2020. And here yeah. we are today, still talking about <laughs> the future of HR, hybrid work, working from home, remote working, and how to best, you know, take care of our employees' needs while uh, seriously, you know, keeping the trains on the track. Yeah. You know, so, uh, uh, but tell us what you do. Like, how do you spend your days? So I'm um, an executive coach. So I spend my days coaching a lot of um, leaders in organizations, in startups, helping them to grow, to develop, help them to lead themselves and to lead the organizations really, really well. And then through my company, we also um, do a lot of leadership development programs. I'm a public speaker. Obviously, I'm a podcast host as well. These are the four main areas of kind of focusing, but it's all arched under helping people grow, develop, create people over profit cultures, and then psychological safety, inclusion, equity all flow into that as well. Yeah, people over profit. It's um, it's wild. You know, you would think, oh yeah, it's a bumper sticker. That makes sense. <laughs> then you're like. Yeah, that really makes sense because there is no profit without the people. Yeah. It's no nothing. That's your that's your main resource, it's your main asset. And a lot of times it's people haven't been focused on. That's yeah. why we've seen the great resignation of people just leaving spaces that they no longer are willing to tolerate being treated a particular way because now they have more options, opportunities to go to other places because they've been treated like commodities rather mm -hmm. than being valued. Yeah. That's why it's so important. The more that we can have organizations who can focus on their people, who can look after their mental health, who can create spaces where they can grow, evolve, develop, then you're going to get the best and you're naturally going to get that profit anyway. Yeah, you naturally are. And you know what? When you trust your people, all kinds of doors open. All kinds of doors open. And that, again, seems like common sense, but, you know, I know it's not, and it's not comfortable for a lot of leaders right this minute, but it will open doors that you never knew that that could open, you know? Yeah. So how did you get into this world? Let's go back in time. Ooh. I love this. You know, when I first asked you the question of, you know, who, who you were at five, six, seven, um, I learned quite a bit about you and and uh, coming to the country, coming to the UK and um, and everything like that. But I would love to to revisit a little bit of that and how you then decided to go on this path. Yeah, I guess um, I'll go all the way back. Um, so born born in Nigeria, um, grew up there till I was about 11, 12, um, came to the UK. Um, and I was, I guess, navigating as a teenager that balance between my culture and upbringing in, in Nigeria and my culture and upbringing in the UK. And throwing that mix together, because I'm going to call it a, an increased hormone state as well of being, <laughs> of being a teenager, it was not easy space at all. But around about, um, I guess, 15 is when I really had uh, an awakening of self-awareness because I found that even though externally I was had friends around me I was in the in crowd I was in the popular crowd I wasn't really happy and I started to ask myself certain questions right why wasn't I happy and it was primarily came down to the fact that I was 
living a life to please other people and behaving in ways that were not aligned to my true inner self, my true inner character. And at that age, I was like, I can't, I can't keep on doing this. One, I need to understand are those I have around me, are they real friends or just acquaintances? And if they are just acquaintances, well, why do I really, or am I wasting my time and breaking my back and changing who I am and going home and just feeling so down on myself to please them? I might as well be authentic and leave into who I truly want to be, both on the outside and the inside. So they're both aligned. And then my real friends will be around me and the wrong ones won't be. And I say that now very, very easily. When you're young at that point in time, it was not an easy conversation to have with myself. I mean, it was, I had some, some slow jams in the background. I was in my room, I was writing, I was journaling, going through that. But I knew that something had to change and something had to shift. And I was like, if I'm going to lose people around me, I'm going to lose people around me. And that's where the real understanding of, um, I guess, self-awareness, um, mindset, which is um, that one of my primary focus really, really came about to me. And from then on, I made a decision that I'm never going to, I'm going to try as much as possible not to live for others, but to live for myself. I mean, from 12 to 15, I already navigated um, different instances where in, in the UK, for example, we have something called the National Front which is a bunch of, I guess we'll call them like neo-Nazi kind of groups. And I had to deal with those groups um, going to school. So we had instances where you come outside of school and they were there hanging around, especially when I used to play a lot of sports or we'll finish school late and they'll be hanging around waiting for the kids because there's no one around teachers who kind of gone home and they'll chase you or you're having fights with this grown skinhead men because because I was black. So I was really dealing with that anyway. So I had all those layers of, of racism around me. I'm dealing with who I am at, at 15. And then I'm kind of like, well, all these experiences I've gone through so far have all been for a reason. And I can actually use them to help shape and grow me, or I can use them to make me angry and bitter. And this was kind of all the thoughts that were all coming together at, um, at 15 years old. So I kind of I grew through that. I grew through that stage and went on to university. At university, I, I met my wife, um, who's then my, my girlfriend. We were together for like three years at uni. Probably one of the hardest things to do, but also one of the moments that changed my life the most because she challenged me in a way that I always say forced me to go from a boy to a man. I'm navigating being in that space. I'm navigating having a partner at, at university. Uh, I also had, um, me and I met a couple of people at university. We had a company that we set up. So we were a promotions house. We used to run like um, raves or high out, like um, a spot. We'll get some DJs in from London. People from all around town will come down. So it was like, it was good. We're making some real good money. But obviously, as you can imagine, the lifestyle and the nightlife, while balancing that, while having, having a partner, while at university, wasn't the easiest. I didn't make life easier for myself. But it was through that whole process that, again, that self-awareness from when I was 15 was really, really with me. And I kept to kind of ask myself, like, you can easily stray. You can easily act and present yourself in a particular way. And that will work really, really well with the crowd. But are you being true to yourself, number one? And number two, are you being true to the person that you are with, which was my partner at the time? And the answer to those questions was no. So always having that inner self dialogue, ask myself those questions, really, really has helped to shape who I am right now. Because fast forward coming out of university, um, we got married straight out of university. We were like 
dead broke. Like we were poor. We weren't, we weren't poor. We were poor because we had like so many red letters coming out us. People wanting like to pay for this bill and that bill and this debt and all that kind of stuff to deal with. So it was one of the hardest instances of of my life because as a man, as someone who prides himself on like providing for your family and being there. I was I was failing at it. I mean, I was I was trying to navigate, but fresh out university, middle of the recession, the roles I had lined up had all been cancelled, and then obviously we had we had our son at that point in time as well. So my wife wasn't working, so I had a little boy. My wife's not working. I'm trying to find a job, and it was it was really really difficult. But it pushed me in a sense that every time I look at my wife, I used to say to her, "We're gonna get out of this." We're going to get through this. I don't know how, but my, I said this the last time, my, my faith has always been something that I've really been able to hold on to all the way throughout. Even when, from when I was 15, it was that conversation with God that actually brought about me changing my, my approach to things. When I was at university, it was exactly the same. When I was married and we just started out and we we're going through that, it was exactly the same. I was like, Lord, I don't know how we're going to get through this, but I know this is not our story and our lives are going to improve and lives are going to get better. And it eventually did. I mean, I navigated into, into the corporate space. I studied economics at university with the hope of that would allow me to go into anything I wanted to do. And it did. I went into economics and then I did um, finance for a couple of years. And then I went into like the commercial side of things with a mixture of doing a lot of project management, um, running SAP and IT projects. And from a very young age, I was put into positions where I was leading people who were at 12, 15, 20 years older than me. And I had to, I guess, learn how to lead them. And earlier on, we're talking about what trust looks like. I had to learn that as a leader, it's my role to trust other people first and put myself out there to be able to build that. And that flows into being open, being vulnerable. I mean, you can imagine this 26, 27 year old talking to a 45 year old, like, here, here's what you do, because he obviously has got years of experience <laughs> way over me. But I looked at them like, well, how can I build relationship with that person? How can I build trust with that person? Because if we're, yes, I'm in theory, they're, they're leader, but we're working together. So my question used to be like, how can I, what can I do to help you grow? It's one of the things that I guess my, my marriage really, really taught me when it comes to like communication, being open and being vulnerable. And I took a lot of those principles into work. And I used to ask people those questions. And I found one, when you ask people, how can I do to help you grow? A lot of times they're taken aback by it because they think you're trying to trap them because they're not used to it. Because <laughs> it's like, Ooh, what are you trying to find out? Are you gonna, are you, am I going to say something to you? You're going to get me sacked or fired or something like that. But then when it started to get to know you and I started to share a little bit about myself and my story, they realized that actually I was generally interested in them as, as people. And the more I got to know my people, the more I got to understand what their drivers were, what their motivators were, what they were doing, not just inside of work, but outside of work, the more I was able to create opportunities for them. The more I was able to help them to do things, even outside of work, the way most talk to them about relationships and things like that. And by me having that approach on my people, the only way they could really say thank you was just working ridiculously hard. Mm -hmm. And they gave back so much that 
the other different projects I was running was like eight, nine figure returns for the organization. And that goes back to what I was saying earlier on. If you look after your people, naturally speaking, you get the profit back. And it's those kind of, that ethos I took into the different companies I worked for. I've been fortunate enough to work in a couple of continents and um, a couple of countries and companies all around the world. It was the same thing I saw. Just investing in people and developing the people I was surrounded by made such a massive difference. I'll have conversations with like senior directors, I have conversations with VPs, and I'll help them to develop and help them to grow and help them to lead. But that was not my main role. That was just something I did in the side because I enjoyed having those conversations. I enjoyed um, seeing people navigate. I enjoyed changing the space and the culture I was around. And about probably things are seven or eight years ago now. I kind of looked around me and be like, I really wanted to change things. I had a conversation with my son, um, who was excited to come and work where, where daddy works. And I wasn't excited about that conversation at all. <laughs> because I'm like, when I look back over my, my career, yes, I've been fortunate to get to where I got to. And there's so much more that was ahead of me. But it hasn't been easy. I had dealt with racism. I dealt with bullying. And every single place I'd worked in, I've been one of one. And these were multi-billion organizations, global organizations, yet I was very, very lonely. I was in spaces that I fitted into were spaces I didn't belong in. That's why any, any opportunity I got, like, oh, we're doing, oh, you can work from home. We're running a, a pilot scheme. Like, yep, yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna do it for it. So when I led teams, I was working from, from two, days, um, two days a week from home because I wanted to be at home because as much as I enjoyed being at work and being my people, the whole culture wasn't really suited or created for me. And I wasn't always comfortable in that. I tried to, but it was just felt fake and, and I really didn't like that at all. So that conversation with my son, looking around, wanting to change things, having other conversations with people I was mentoring and in my wider network, I was like, what would it look like if I stepped out of the corporate world and then really started to work for myself? At that same time, I was, um, guess approached about stepping into like directorship six-figure salary all that kind of stuff things that I had worked my career the way up to that point to get to and I turned it down um like I said face I just had that conversation with God around the time like when you think about your future is this really what you wanted to do I was like no it isn't but the money's good <laughs> the title's good and I have nothing I'm really really going it going into and it's like just distress me like if it was half done so I had a very interesting conversation uh with my wife around the thoughts I was having we made a decision together I turned that one down and literally left left my work with nothing and I started my own company <laughs> and I stayed um became a consultant and that allowed me to, to go into different spaces and places to just see what their cultures were like and understand a little bit better. So while doing that, I set up another company, which is what I do right now, which is called Mindset Shift, and which is where the, the, the leadership and exec coaching kind of comes from. So while I was doing my consultancy, I did, I got qualified and then applied a lot of those theory that I already know with the practical and just merged them all together. Because like I said, what I'm doing now is what I've done for the best part of 20 years for free. So that's kind of my my journey in a nutshell. There's so much in there. There's so much in there. I uh, thank you so much for for that. Um, I want to go back to self awareness at an early age, 12, 13, mm. 14, 15, when you really 
as you said, you just had self-awareness or it came to you or your conversations with God. Like what, what, I guess, how did you even know that was self-awareness? And you might not have called it self-awareness at the time, but something told you, hey, this isn't the track for you. This isn't it. Yeah, I definitely didn't have the language of self-awareness at that point in time. Yeah. But I I wasn't happy because when I looked around me, I I do a lot of introspection and I do a lot of analysis around who I am, how I'm showing up, how I am with people. I guess why I did that at that age was without me, I didn't realize at that point in time, I'm the I'm the person who asks a lot of questions when people are like, oh, I want to do this. I'm like, oh, why are you going to do that? Does that really make any sense? What your approach? I'm not trying to, I'm just, I was always that kind of kid who was always consistently asking questions. But as I'm asking questions of other people, I'm also constantly evaluating, asking questions of myself. And I was like, I noticed that even though I was with a group of people, I would come home some days and I would just be so unhappy. And I'll start to unravel my day and be like, why are you so unhappy? Like, you should be, so, you, you should be happy. You, you, you're living a good life. I'm like, actually, no, because I did that and I did that and I did that. So why did you do that? Oh, it's because I was trying to impress that person. It was because I wanted to be part of the in crowd, so I did that. Was that really what you wanted to do? No. Is that aligned to how you've been brought up and the values that you know? No. So why do you keep on doing it? Because I don't want to be alone by myself. I don't. <laughs> so it was those kind of conversations that I had repeatedly and I tried to, I guess I tried to mute and I tried to ignore and I tried to um, use different forms of what I'm going to call noise cancelling mechanisms just to go over it. But it just kept on coming back up time and time and time again until I got to that point that day where I guess I was nearly at a breakdown where I literally was just alone by myself in my room just thinking and writing and listening to music and talking to God and just crying like I just can't I can't keep on doing this like it's not the lifestyle I'm currently living in I know it sounds traumatic a 15 year old and it probably was <laughs> but the lifestyle I'm currently living just isn't how I want to keep on showing up in the world. And I wanted to do something different. And I know that's very scary. And that means I might lose people around me. I might be ostracized and I might be a loner and I don't have any friends. But surely that's better than me just carrying on the way that I'm, I'm currently carrying on. And I feel like I had nothing to lose. So why not just try and, and see how it goes? That's incredible. And I think... Probably, yeah, at 15, you might have been, you know, highly emotional and going through a lot of, you know, <laughs> hormonal change, but also just knowing, like, this doesn't feel good. Like, when you get real quiet, mm. you can hear yourself or you can hear your body saying what feels good, what doesn't feel good, or I'm coming home unhappy or grumpy or, you know, want to listen to loud, you know, raging music or whatever it is. Um, but I think that's really incredible that you, and you know, it's the second time you've told me the story that you have such a recollection of those moments of like, whoa, I'm actually miserable. I'm living for other people for whatever, all those reasons. And I'm lonely. I don't want to be lonely, but I'm going to take this left turn here. And while that left turn may have been really hard it opened up doorways for you where you could meet your wife where you had 
different types of awakenings and, uh, and um, I guess, choices. Yeah, I love yeah. it. I really do. You know, you said something, there's so many things that you said in there, but one of the things that you said that I, I was writing down was um, you have found before you went into your own business and started up your own businesses, yeah. you found that there were spaces that you fit in, but spaces you didn't belong in. Yeah. Huge. I mean, huge. That is incredibly powerful. And you really summed, you summed up really what in many ways I think about racism and in many ways in terms of how ostracized we, not you, we make other people feel when they, they feel other and they feel like they cannot be their authentic self or their authentic self isn't um, what the norm, it's going to up, it's going to upset the apple cart. Um, and that, that phrase spaces I fit in, but spaces I didn't belong in really like was a, uh, like an, um, a volcanic eruption when you said that, I really felt that. And, um, you know, I imagine that you work with, you work with people today that are where you work. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. There's, 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 there's so many people who currently fit into that mold where when you listen to them talk and you sh- listen to them share how they're really feeling, what their real experiences are, they are, I guess they're crying out for, for change. And the reason why they're crying out for change and sometimes they feel unheard is they feel powerless to actually do anything about it. It's so easy to be able to slot into a space and you start to deceive yourself into like, yeah, I really, really do belong here. But then when you, which I guess the pandemic is for a lot of people, forces you to take a step back and you look at it, you'd be like, why is it that um, I'm at home and I'm working, I'm not promoting overworking, I'm working 10 hour days and I don't feel tired or stressed. But when mm-hmm. I'm at work, I've only done four or five hours and I just feel so much weight on my shoulders and I'm just tired and I'm mentally drained. Oh, wait a minute. It's because when I'm at home, I'm just comfortable. When I'm at home, I can be myself. I can wear the clothes I want to wear. I can wear my hair wherever I want to wear. I can eat whatever I want to eat. But when I'm at work, I'm spending so much of my mental energy to fit into the crowd, to get involved in others, the conversations, or to present myself in a, in a very particular way. And all of that drains who you are from a mental and then it flows into your into your physical psyche. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or and those and those are the kind of things that happen when you when you talk about fitting in and belonging. When I'm at home, I, I belong. I'm <laughs> I'm at peace. I don't have to worry about anything. And therefore I don't have that energy to deal with. And therefore I can utilize my full mental capacity to do the best work I can possibly do. But I don't need to pretend to anyone. I remember um I don't I don't I don't I'm not a very big big drinker. But at work, obviously, you go out and you do all of that. And I was very, very insistent, like, okay, I might go out, but I'm, I'm not going to drink. And I remember so many times, and why one reason why I stopped doing it is most people will spend the night trying to convince me that it's drink. I'm like, no, I can still have fun, which I do. I can have a laugh, which I do. I can get involved in conversations, which I do really, really well. 
why do I need to drink? Do I know? But that's that's what we do. I'm like, that's what you do. I don't need to conform to the way that you live or you operate or what gives you joy because I know what gives me joy. Being around you in this environment is okay for me. I don't need to do something else just because that's how you see it done. And it got to the point where I'm like, just stop asking me. <laughs> just let's get out and enjoy, enjoy, enjoy our nights. But it's things like that. Or if you look at, um, I remember when I used to have Muslim colleagues in my team, and I ensured that we didn't run any meetings, particularly on, on Fridays because of them. And I always to this day remember one of those colleagues saying to me that, thank you so much for doing that because the previous manager that we had, he didn't even think about it. It wasn't relevant to him. It wasn't, it didn't even cross his mind. And there were times when I had to miss key meetings because I had prayers to go to and I chose to go to my prayers. And not once they ever stopped to ask, why are you missing for this meeting? There are times he even got me to, when he went to a trial and he got me in trouble and they had to explain it to him. And he never had direct conversation with me. It's things like that that you don't necessarily think about when you're talking about fitting in and, and belonging. Mm-hmm. So when we then cascade into the world that we're living in now and you're wondering why people don't completely want to go back into work, why people yeah. want to be at home. And that's either from a race perspective, from a gender perspective, from other intersectionality perspective, it's because the environments that they have operated in, they fit into those environments that they do not belong in. Now they're at home in environments that they belong in. They don't want to lose that. Yeah. It's, it's super powerful. And as complex as it is, it's so simple too. The, the the name of the game now is how how do we find a way forward when not everyone is going to be able to work at home mm. in the role that they're in or at the company that they're in. Um, you know, I, I definitely believe that hybrid work is here, but I don't know how quickly it's going to permeate through all of the sectors. You know, is uh, you know the financial industry going to be open to it? Is the legal industry, you know, the maybe some of the old guard? Um, but what you're talking about is othering, and how you, know, you go to the bar and people are like, no, 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 it's not okay that you're not one of us. You're mm-hmm. other. It's not. It's actually not okay that you're not going to drink because you're with us. You're one of us, and you're like. Hey, I still can be somewhat one of us, but I'm going to do what's right for me. And I think that there's, you know, there's a lot of, um, obviously that's called peer pressure, but there's a lot of fear behind that, you know, where I feel like we need to get so much better at just accepting, accepting, being neutral about it. Cool. And in that neutrality, we can also open up our minds and our hearts to what it truly is like for another person to exist in this pla- on this planet, in this world, at this job, in this company, so forth and so on. And, yeah. You know, and that's what you did also with the, um, the uh, teammates that you had that were Muslim that um, and you said, you know, we're not going to do Fridays, we're not going to do meetings on Fridays. Or for us, you know, we have prayer rooms within our offices. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, those are things that you just, what does it take? And it takes like a, a second more of extra thought. But it really, really makes someone feel welcome. 
the little things make make the biggest difference. Yeah. And yeah. I think there's something that you just said there as well, where there's a there's an element of fear, I think, when it comes to when you see people who are not conforming to what everyone else is doing, that makes other people nervous. Yeah. And they're not quite sure how do I deal with this? Or how do I deal with that? disruption that seems a bit a bit out of place but actually disruption is a good thing yeah. <laughs> I mean especially with what you guys do at, at Vita Media it's all about disruption yeah. and around changing things because the industry needed needed a shake-up and needed to change and we look at some of the great piece of technology that we had that was all disruption we look at Netflix that we all used during the pandemic that's all disruption disruption is not necessarily a bad thing but it first can create some fear and some anxiety. And therefore that's why you get the peer pressure, you get a conformity. And if you then look at it from a completely different lens of authentic leadership, you don't get that fear. And that's because you're leaning into that person and you lean into curiosity because it's, oh, that person's different. Why is that? Mm. Let me ask questions. Let me understand a bit more about where they're coming from and see what I can learn as, as an individual. The more that I think we have authentic leaders who you balance that need of leading yourself and leading others, but it's centered around um, self-awareness, the more I think we're going to get that change that we're talking about when we, when we want to see other industries grow and evolve and even embrace new things like have to work in and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, couldn't, I literally couldn't agree more. And I, I often say, like, it's not really about being right. It's just about being better. You know, we have to better in this world. And how are we going to find right together? And together, this is a whole other deep thought, but the idea of togetherness is changing because it's not ivory tower togetherness. It's not one decision maker or all of those people who have offices making the decisions. It needs to be uh, uh, integrated throughout organizations and what together, I think what together means, you know, and that means leaning in on diversity in the biggest of ways to make everyone feel like their voice is heard. And we've got a long way to go. We've got long ways to go. But to dismantle the idea of otherness and like, it's just not okay to be other. Oh, you're other. Nope. Can't quite fit in here. Oh, can't quite fit in here. And that's just, uh, God, imagine that's the opposite of leaning into curiosity. You know, when you close doors and don't put bridges up for other people to cross into, you know, what your world looks like, you're really limiting yourself and hurting other people and just creating uh, more animosity and distrust, right? What do you think it would take to to really shift that with 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 people, with leaders, with organizations, and start to build more more bridges rather than put more walls? I think it's really going to take this, these younger generations, the younger millennials and uh, the gen uh, Gen Z, Gen Zs, who are extremely vocal about their needs and their wants and their what they are won't tolerate, what's non negotiable. You know, I think that, I think that's a large part of it. And I think that we need the right people in corporations at the head of these corporations. I think that have, whether or not it's more um, heart-centered leadership or democratic thinking, 
to see that the world has changed and going back to disruption, what you were just speaking about, what comes out of disruption is evolution. Mm. And we all want to evolve. We all want to progress. We all want to move up the ladders into some bigger and better whatever. So we have to remember, you know, Netflix did disrupt the DVR, uh, you know, VCR, DVR industry. And soon enough, it will be something other than Netflix that will get disrupted too. And you and I will evolve the way we consume content yeah. and entertainment. So anyway, we could go, we could go on and on. And, and hopefully <laughs> you and I are around in the future to be part of these changes because it's a real, it's really exciting. It definitely is. I think when I, when I look forward to the future, I mean, my, my kids coming up and like I said, they're, they're a dig- digitally connected generation in so many ways. And for them, having a world of inclusion and equity and psychological safety and all of that, it's just standard. Yes. And that world fills me with joy. But I'm also cognizant of the fact that we don't need to support them with, I guess, the the right foundations we need to give them as those of us who are older around Mm -hmm. um, the mindset and around the self-awareness and around ensuring that they have, I guess I'm going to call it the best of both worlds in, in the best possible way to help them to grow and thrive. And when you have that, then we're going to see some more great, amazing things come out as, as we get older and we start to then look back behind us and we're like, wow, man, your, your generation is, is, is onto something because you are bringing through that inclusion. You're bringing through that adversity you've, and you've got your, your thoughts are not just a very specific area. Your thoughts are so wide and vast. They allow your mind and they'll just absolutely blow your mind, shall I say, and therefore that allows you to create some amazing things in the world. Mm-hmm. I I actually think we are going to stop there because that is so perfect in terms of where I I also believe we're going and ensuring that our children and our grandchildren have the values intact, like you were just saying, and are aware of things such as, I don't feel good. Let me look and see what doesn't make me feel good. When they have those basics down, Mm. gosh sky's the limit and and boy will they go beyond the sky i have all the faith in the world they will take us yeah um thank you so much for being here and thank you for sharing i just uh, i could talk to you forever (laughs) i really (laughs) thank you for having me (laughs) hey everybody if you want to start a podcast or you have a podcast that you want to get up and running please, please reach out to my team at onairbrands.com. That's onairbrands.com. They're the best.